Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar. This is episode 295 of our PC Gaming Podcast on the 19th of September. I'm Marsh Davis and I'm joined this evening by... Tom Senior. And... Chris Thurston. Hello. What are the games? What are the games, <laughs> What though? are games? Why are games? What are I games? Well, there's lots of games coming out this weekend, which is exciting. Not useful to anyone listening to this podcast. Well, it is, because it's the past now, but it'll be the future then. And those games will be coming out today? <laughs> Depends where now is. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, Untitled Goose Game might be out. Yes. That looks fun. It does look good. Is it still called that? Yeah. Apart from in Japan, so- where it's something like... Um, Untitled Goose Game, Here He Comes, Mr. Goose, or something like that. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, there's uh, other things coming out this weekend as well. Overland as well, long-awaited, um, turn-based, squad-based game about possibly fleeing aliens on a tiny grid. I don't remember this one at all. Overland really? is such a general name. I don't, I'm not mm. sure, like... Oh, I think you'd recognize the screenshots. It's got really mm. lovely art by uh, an artist called Heather Penn. It mm. com- comes from Finji. Uh, and Adam mm. Saltzman, who mm. made Cannibalt, I think. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, this has been um, in development for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's sort of uh, it shares some um, uh, sort of DNA with ah, uh, what's the fucking name? The mech game, the really kind of cool oh, little mech uh, game. Brigador. No, absolutely not that one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a, a kind of a more puzzly mech game. You're fighting giant insects. Oh, uh, oh. into the breach. Into yeah. the breach. There you go. Yeah. In that every level is sort of a, a self-contained sort of positional puzzle, and I think it's in a post-apocalyptic landscape, and you build up kind of a crew of survivors, drive a car. Uh, cool. and then go and decide whether you're going to get the petrol or save the dog uh, as the alien. Marsh, you're saying all the cool in. words to me and the words are so cool and <laughs> petrol the, I, dog. I want the cool game. <laughs> yeah. Petrol dog car. Max. Yeah. That's what they should have called it. I would have remembered. Petrol it. dog car yeah. Max. Um, yeah. That sounds great. John Carmax. Petrol dog car Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there's also, also maybe news worthy is the fact that uh, Disco Elysium has a, a release date now. Oh yeah, super soon as well, isn't it? Yeah, the October the 15th, I believe. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that trailer made no sense to me. It's a very nice, pretty looking trailer. Uh, but all I got from it was, you are a detective. And that was it, really. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really... I mean, it says you can do lots of things. Like, it's a very open world. Apparently, you can choose to be a different kind of detective, a good detective, a sh- kind of shitty detective, apparently. I don't know quite why you'd choose that. Um, and, you, and, you, and, you, and, you, and you do things in a big, kind of freaky-looking place. Um, but exactly what it's about, beyond you being a detective, I couldn't fucking say. Mm. Have you played a bit of it, Tom? Yeah, I played the um, sort of preview build that they sent mm. around the press. And um, I, it's hard to see how you could be a good detective in that game because your dude is so kind of fundamentally broken in some way. Right. Uh, but you get to choose the way you're you're broken, I think. Uh, the idea is always that your party members are thoughts that exist and also kind of conversation options and things that you level up at the same time. Mm. So it's, it sort of rearranges a lot of uh, CRPG tropes in uh, it's almost like a sort of psych- into a psychodrama rather than right. like an actual party um, it, it sort of feels like a party RPG, but actually it's all in your head. <laughs> that's, that's kind of yeah. The, I the think because the thing that intrigues me about it is I've read, I've probably read your preview of it, or at least I've read some C and C. Banged on about it on the podcast. Before, yeah, uh, maybe that's what it is. But yeah, uh, yeah you have what well, you can argue with your own necktie and things. Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's very like it's quite vague, but there are sort of personality the aspects of your personality that grow stronger or weaker based on the choices that you make. Hmm. But uh, those personality traits also talk to you, and you can have conversations with them and like skits. Right, um, but also like a, a, a simple interaction like calling your back to your police department from your police car can become an almost like completely imagined text adventure scene in and of itself right and it's almost like a, there's an unreliable narrative aspect to it as well because you're not sure whether it's just 
your sort of hungover, demented brain that's interpreting and projecting onto what you imagine people are doing on the other end of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's quite skillfully written, I think, in the way that it creates that ambiguity. And, and that makes it really interesting. Though you're right, I have no idea what the sort of ultimate aim of the game is or right. objective. Yeah, I, I thought that might be mentioned. Like, there is no sort of like fundamental central quest through line that's referred to in Not any really. of the material I've seen. I think um, the, we did a, a, a like a CNC one-off chat with mm. Robert Kovitz, who's the like creative director and lead writer, I think. And it, he does sort of say, like, <clears throat> some of the funny thing, I think at the time I had to put a spoiler warning on it, even though the game was at that point still a year and a half away. Right. Because he, he did sort of explain where they were going with it. And what I would say is I probably wouldn't even recommend listening to that now if you really want to be completely unspoiled. <laughs> but yeah. it's sort of, it's similar, I think, in terms of its ambition to something like the original Planescape Torment, mm. where it's not so much about here is your quest, here is the the bad man whom must be smote it's more uh, a question being sort of stretched through several different scenarios and you know trying to figure out an answer that suits the character that you're forming basically um it begins with uh your character kind of referring to the fact that he heard someone who turns out to be himself yelling i don't want to be this kind of animal anymore and the sort of the root question is if you sort of emerge from a fugue state like that as a kind of blank slate what kind of animal is it worth being mm-hmm. basically it's kind of in, you know Hmm. <laughs> um but yeah basically yeah. well deep in it but no I'm, I'm really looking forward to it i think uh, i think it'd be great i think it's gonna be some of the worst op-eds ever written in mm. video games about this game <laughs> but it's gonna be good to play i think It'd be worth worth checking out yeah mm. we should also note that if you've gotten like 10 minutes into this podcast however long it's been we all sound like children or goblins <laughs> it's because we, we we've got a new recording setup and inexplicably we can't figure out why on marsh's laptop it adjusts it, it pitch shifts us up by a certain amount <laughs> And we think we can, we're recording now in the assumption that we can successfully pitch shift this down. If that doesn't work, you will already know. <laughs> but I wanted to note it just because I think about now is when the tweets would start to get written. <laughs> if not, welcome to Crate and Crowbar Kids. <laughs> yeah. So kids, what have you been playing? Ooh. Me? Yes, you go. I never yes. go first. Um, so I've just started dipping my toes back into the, the shitty waters of, um, uh, hunt showdown and i don't mean that in terms of the game is shitty but it is full of shitty places and mm. shitty people and shitty situations that's part of the appeal so hunt um i know i've talked about it on the podcast before i think when it first came out in early access it is now out out and often i know people like to be told be reminded about a game when it actually finishes its its journey mm. um through that particular swamp uh, i think it came out a couple of weeks ago now but basically so if you're not aware of which game this is this is the sort of uh multiplayer horror shooter by crytek um that is a kind of survival uh it's somewhere between daisy and a battle royale and a gothic horror game basically so uh, in its main mode where a game takes about an hour um you grab a hunter character who will be a shitty cowboy they've they've uh they've um uh, uh or cowgirl they've they've diversified the character roster since uh, early access which isn't good um, and these characters are like partially randomly generated and then you level them up through going on expeditions with them. However, if they die, they're lost forever. And some of their project progress is sort of cashed into your own account level. But partly the game is about leveling up these hunters and taking them on expeditions and trying not to get murdered, basically. Hmm. It's very, very lethal. And so you load into a server either alone or with a, a pair or with three uh, in a party of three and you embark on a hunt for a monster. And there are zombies everywhere. It's sort of set in this sort of rolling Louisiana Bayou kind of country um with horrible zombies and women who shoot bees out of their desiccated skulls and yeah. you know, crab men and uh shit men and bad leeches and is there stuff. any reason why it's this way uh yeah there's a sort of gothic horror it's set in the sort of like late 
uh 19th century so it's got a sort of mm. you know late old west kind of thing but right. i got but a lovecraft has happened i see mm. so but it's, it's it's sort of a little bit biblical a little bit lovecrafty and there's some kind of nice supporting text for it and a little bit sort of old magic like sort of like a, a curse has fallen on the land as well and mm. different parts of the fiction sort of put a different lens on it so it could be a curse visited by god or or voodoo or you know lots of different things but in each level there's a, a monster hiding somewhere who's like a boss encounter and the kind of beautiful and horrible kind of gribbly spider and um a big man whom whom kill mm-hmm. is the other monster <laughs> um and you the basic idea of the as a multiplayer game is all the parties in the same world and you have to find clues that basically um you absorb and when you do that you uh, li- uh pare down which parts of the map the monster might be in you find which barn or shitty farmhouse or something or the church the monster is actually in <laughs> And then you fight it, or someone fights it. And then when it has been fought, it can be banished, which takes a certain amount of time, and lightning streaks down from the ether, and so everyone everyone can access like a dark vision, which is actually one of the I think, best uses of detective mode in a game like this, because it shuts out almost all your other senses, and you can only see monster stuff, basically, like glowing clues and things. Hmm. Uh, and in that mode, you you know, players have time to realize the monster's been killed, and then when the monster dies, it drops these bounties. Um, the, a player can only ever carry one of them. And so... If you have slain the monster, the idea is to grab the bounty and get to an extraction point and leave. But as soon as you're holding a bounty, every other player can see where you are when they look in their own dark vision. So then it becomes a hunt for the person who... So it's a sort of scramble to then I see. get be the person holding the bounty at the end of the match, whether that means being the best hunter or the best hunter of other hunters, right. or just lucky, or... Are there multiple bounties that get dropped? Uh, yeah, a monster drops three, I think, when it dies. So you could conceivably collaborate with three other players. Yeah, right, to, okay. to share it or to protect you or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think played properly... Um, so in its base, and this is the mode, it, I mean, this, this all worked when it first came out in early access and it's fundamentally a game about sound. Um, like it really, really is. So uh, it has some interesting, like, um, it's quite slow paced as shooters go. So like in its default control scheme, it now gives you a choice about whether you want more of a shooter control scheme, but you really shouldn't. I find there's like a, there's a control scheme whereby you basically can't shoot, um, unless you're holding it down iron sights and otherwise you're going to shoot a melee weapon, um, because it's quiet. And, uh, sound travels a long, long way. And the sound design is, is beautiful. Like it's, it even tells you at the start, like it's designed to be played with like a good pair of surround sound headphones. Cause hmm. you know, it's got uh, gunshots echo a long distance and the world is full of, um, the world is, it's a shithole, but it's kind of a beautiful shithole. Everything's muddy and grimy and your weapons will be half wrapped in, covered, caked in mud and shit and wrapped in barbed wire and not painful to hold. Everything sort of in this, it's nasty. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, why it's would like, you wrap your weapon in barbed wire? It's just, well, you, That's a bad idea. maximum, maximum tetanus vectors all the time <laughs> basically is, is it's aesthetic. Like just, huh. yeah. Um, but you, so you, uh, but you can, you always need to be listening out. You know, you make a lot of noise when you're moving around, but there's also stuff everywhere that makes noise. There are flocks of crows that you can disturb ducks, quite realistic ducks. Any goose? Uh, there are geese. There are very loud geese now mm-hmm. that, that honk and fly away. There's, and then there's like shards of glass on the floor and every material surface makes a different noise. So even just moving and crouching around, you'll look at what you're standing on. You can knock things over, walk through a chain and that jangles and all of this stuff actually right. gives you away to monsters and other players. So it's all about sort of like, deft kind of or not you know firing a gun feels like a big choice because it's very loud right but you can also like start engines or generators outside little farmhouses that mm. will make a lot of noise and drop things in a particular direction and then there's some really grim ones like the world is obviously it feels like it's recently been ripped to pieces so some of the farmhouses are still barricaded up with corpses everywhere and you know sort of just post zombie apocalypse kind of thing and because of when it's set there are dead horses everywhere and occasionally you'll find a horse that's still alive 
and it'll just sort of rear up as you go past it and start to scream basically. And it's horrible. Mm. And you have to kind of like, you know, club a horse to death with the butt of your rifle to shut it up. You know, right. It's that game. basically. <laughs> and it's, it's well, why cool. are you playing this? <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's rare. I don't think that tone has been pulled off in a multiplayer context very often. No, well, that's kind of really dreadful. I mean, dread, you know, one that instills dread uh, yeah. was left for dead, really. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's far, it's far soon. more, it's far, there's a lot of that logic in it in terms of the way different enemy classes work and, you know, it has special zombies that are basically there to root you out of cover and stuff. And that's kind of the point. Um, but a lot of it is, it's, it's definitely a lot grimmer. Um, but one thing that they have added, which I think is, is very welcome is uh, a quick play mode which I thought I'd mention because well, there's a few things. Now it's a tutorial, like a proper tutorial, which basically like it's set up like, uh, I don't know if they were demoing the game at E3 and there was a faked game, it, you know, where everything goes well for the point of view character. Mm. And in so, in so doing shows off all the mechanics. It now has that, but as essentially single player tutorial where you hear the sounds of other adventure, like other players in the distance getting killed, but that's faked. And it's just there to encourage you like, Oh, these other players died fighting the monster. The monster's in here. If you kill it, you can do this. So that's quite good, and that provides an easier way in. But the other thing is, is quick play, which is actually quite cool. I'm still getting used to it, um, in part because a major caveat, the game seems to be having real lag issues at the moment, like loads of rubber banding and stuff, and I didn't reach to encounter this, and I looked it up, and apparently it's been having issues for a little while. Hmm. So that's a big old sort of your mileage may vary right. thing to layer over the top of this. And my, my notes aren't very um, helpful because for some reason I've written total shithole, Quick play, ducks, lag, and Nvidia highlights. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, one thing it will do is if you, uh, if you have a shadow play running, it will happily, um, just save little highlight clips of you being killed with a machete by someone else. Cause that's oh, right. predominantly my experience of this. Um, but yeah, well, I'll put it this way. I played like four or five games today and I haven't got a kill yet. I oh. mostly just walk through a bush for a long time, step on a twig, and then uh, a man with a hammer kills me. Or something, or a step on a bear trap, and then so everyone's screaming, and then a horse starts screaming, and ducks take off. <laughs> Very you get loud. tetanus and really a, loudly. Yeah, and then a, a woman's caved in face shoots bees at me, mm. and she's screaming, and I'm screaming, and <laughs> we all scream for bee scream. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Beast, beast cream, beast cream. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, Delicious. Yeah, um, it feels like the kind of world where that would exist. Um, the um, but no, quick play is. Like, I think Answers a Genuine Need, which is a truncated version of the base game. For two reasons, because committing an hour potentially to a long, slow, exploratory game of something a bit like DayZ um, is a lot. Yep. And also because it's also quite a lot in terms of stress, because you've got permadeath, you've got all of this other stuff to worry about. It's quite stressful, screaming horses notwithstanding. So Quick Play gives you a character who's level one and a big pile of shit, basically. And uh, you can go with a random weapon, basically, and you get plonked into a game with other people in the same situation. And it has all the zombies, but not the monsters, not the boss monsters. Instead, it's more like a battle royale. Basically, it's something's gone a bit wrong spiritually, and everyone's going to get annihilated except one person who can find a kind of spiritual wellspring and hold on to it. Hmm. So it's basically just the game broken down to a very quick kind of battle royale where you find weapons and right, but with the but with the zombie level sort of the, the zombie sort of threat on top of that as well, and the monsters hmm. and, and things. And so it's genuinely quite cool because it allows you to sort of hair through those environments a little bit quicker and take more risks mm. and because you spawn with a random weapon there's something there's something i find quite like liberating about like knowing this isn't going to take very long and i've spawned in this game armed only with a cavalry saber so i'm going to see what i can achieve with this cavalry saber and whatever i find for 10 minutes and that's usually a kind of fun horror adventure right like, it's fun sort of hearing some another play get into a gunfight and trying to sneak up on them and you know do all that stuff 
you, you mentioned permadeath. Uh, so yeah. there's a, like a, between different sessions, there is some kind of persistence. Yeah, for your character. So you have these hunters that you recruit basically into a little roster of them. Right. And they level up. So they gain perks. But presumably not for yeah. very long. No, because if you die, they die forever, but you yeah. can also leave. So you can, oh. you can extract, there are extract points around the edge of the map and you can go at any time. It's just how much you came in with. And the XP you get from the level, you get a bonus for having survived. So one way to level up is to go into a map and then just leave again. Hmm. Yeah. You're not very much, but you know, like. Do you feel that stuff really adds anything to it? I mean, I, th- cause, I mean, how far can you really level up in a game which is this brutal? That's a good point. Cause I, I think it's sort of one of the things that I, I imagine there are players who take it pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Because it does feel like, it feels like the, the game is can you get a hunter to level 50, which is the level cap, and keep them there. I see, okay. Right, like... Well, the answer be, in my case is no, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, and that's the same for me. It's like, no, I can't, so I'm probably not going to. So Unless they give out XP much. for hiding in a bush crying, then yeah. it's not going <laughs> to happen do. for me. Yeah, oh, okay. uh, pretty much. You get you XP for almost anything. It's just, huh. you know... Um, and then I think players, like, prestige their account levels and things, because I think when a hunter dies, a lot of it XP gets dumped into your account. So you kind of want them to be very high level before they you know, pop, basically, before you pop them for the hmm. uh, XP that's inside. Um, and you have a choice of which one you take, so you can have a hunter you don't care about and one that you do and only take out the one you care about when you're more confident in your team or something like that. So there is probably... You, yeah, I th- I've got friends who are more into it, and I suspect that's how they play it, where it's more about that sort of thing. What's the highest level you've seen in the wild? Um, you can't tell because you oh, can't okay. see anyone, anyone else's level really. So yeah, what does the what does the, so what does the level give you? Does it give you any kind of survivability? So benefits? you get so you... perks which do give you survivability benefits. So you get the ability to I think be on fire less often. <laughs> like, I see. Okay, um, but it's not some kind of like um, uh, massively escalating scale where higher level players just get better and better and better and it snowballs. I think I don't think so. Although you get access based on your account level, you get access to new equipment. And so, which you can buy for specific hunters. So I bought this guy a good rifle, therefore he starts the game with a good rifle. I think it's, 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 it's a weird one because obviously it has, it has an in-game currency. It's got loads of unlocks and, you know, you can, there's this, uh, shitty cowboys at galore to collect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, you know, sad. And, and based on, I think Red Dead Redemption 2 online's been relatively successful. So that's clearly what the kids want. You know, there's like, I don't know, it's like a seven up man in, in Fortnite now, but, what kids really want is just a cowboy. real sad cowboy mm. who whom has tetanus. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't understand why it hurts. Mm. Um, clubbing a horse to death mm. in the rain. He should have got that yellow skin and locked jaw checked out Yeah, by a doctor. Although, you know, in that era, that would have probably meant, what, leeches? Yeah, there's some big leeches in this as well. Mm. They're horrid. They're very nasty. There they, you go. They're they, doing everybody a favor. Yeah, exactly. But they take all the blood. That's the issue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's rather all or nothing. You're um, saying these leeches aren't real doctors? <laughs> None of them are qualified, no. And I don't think they're sort of half leech, half um, sort of corpulescent kind of massive man that wanders around behind the leeches bellowing and farting is a doctor either, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, it's good. I think it's one of those things where, for me, it's most successful as a kind of experience, like as a mood experience. And I don't feel any particular urge to be good at it. I'd like to be better than I am because I'd like to not just sort of walk around, get frightened uh, step on something and die over and over again with a sort of two minute load screen in between. Have you played much with other people? Uh, not since going back to it. Uh, that's the other thing is, um, it benefits a lot from proximity voice. It's all about sound. So the way you're so kind of supposed to play it is with live mics and proximity audio on so you I can see. hear other teams. But I think the prevalence of discord and every other system that makes it easy to avoid that makes it super easy to avoid doing that mm. which is a bit of a shame really because it does feel like that's how it's supposed to be played 
Yeah. Maybe they should just make all your characters burp and fart and say, walk around the environment, cough I'm sure if, they've got, if they've got any kind of anti-cheat working, I'm sure they can tell that the Discord, Discord client is open. And if they say that the Discord mm. client is open, then yeah, you just, you burp bustling constantly. <laughs> 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 or you just shout, I'm on Discord! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds really good. I think, uh, yeah, Jim Rossignol was raving about it a mm. while ago. So I think uh, it's quite a gym game. It's got lots of sort of sprawling. It's, well, mm. it takes a long time to walk anywhere and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> the ideal Jim Rossignol experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Can I, I know I int- introduced, so out of uh, kindness, I should let you speak about your game next. No, but my game has right a forest in it. So it's more automatically <laughs> linked. <laughs> Perfect segue. Although it's quite a different game, uh, being as it is a uh, choose-your-own-story-esque narrative adventure RPG thing based on Twine, uh, set in the world of Robin Hood. Mm. Nottingham. Uh, it is in Nottingham, yeah, although it's not necessarily given for Robin Hood because he has appeared in many different parts of the UK over the years. Um, um, but mostly Nottingham, right? Um, Staffordshire as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, in Charles II's reign, he moved to Staffordshire, pretty much. Hmm. Um, Reporting <laughs> angel. Yeah. Um, socialism. <laughs> it's called Knocked. Uh, it's called Knocked, the true tales of Robin Hood. Um, which Knocked is, as in knocking an arrow. Knocking an arrow, yes. Knocking mm. without a K. Yeah. Um, knocked exclamation point, in fact. Knocked! <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody shouts that. <laughs> but, um, it is shouted in the title, uh, the true tales of Robin Hood, which is weird because they aren't true at all. I mean, that's the one thing you say about Robin Hood. It's complete fiction. It's really not true. Um, <laughs> didn't happen. But it's, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, a built on a twine engine, so you can kind of, uh, you know, sort of what to expect. It's basically just to choose your own adventure. There is sort of some resource management going on. It has a kind of bewildering list of resources, uh, gold, renown, men, power, and then you, you can become graced as well, which I think gives you some sort of like, you know, saving grace, save, uh, right. for a particularly bad decision, I think, anyway. But, um, it's not quite clear what things are really going to bestow any of those resources on you, and they seem to be taken away from you at arbitrary points in arbitrary amounts, and, and then, then given to the returned. poor. <laughs> well, no, you can, you can obviously choose to give things to the poor, but then, you know, you'll be in, in a kitchen talking to a witch, and she'll be like, yeah, so I'm gonna do that thing I told you I was gonna do, and you'll be like, yeah, and then you suddenly get 270 renown, you're like, ah, oh, uh, okay, I don't, I really earned that. But I'm definitely going to spend it trying to convince a noble to, you know, oppose Guy of Gisborne or something. Um, so, yeah, that stuff doesn't really work. And a lot of the other kind of mechanical things are slightly shaky about it. But I'm mostly just interested in it because um, it's just really... I, I really like uh, Robin Hood. And uh, uh, So, you know, last week we had this discussion about uh, choice in games and how uh, choice isn't always a good thing. And I, I mentioned DDC talk in which it was proposed, you know, like a, a, a choice-based Hamlet. And I was uh, slightly drunk at that point and lambasted it very loudly, probably wrongly, um, because there are really good games based on choice-based Hamlet. Um, but I think I was mostly against it because I felt like in that talk they were m- projecting more things about the quality of the story would be advanced by offering it choice right. rather than it, this is an interesting game mm. setup to explore uh, possibilities and, and yeah, surprise. Choice is not a de facto good. No, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think actually in Robin Hood, it almost is because the feature of Robin Hood is that in every retelling, he's basically remanufactured from these kind of fragments of myths to, to kind of benefit the teller in some way. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, the, in fact, the move to Staffordshire was probably something to do with uh, the politics of the time because it was felt like it was 
Nottinghamshire was too north, maybe, mm. uh, and not appropriate for the kind of courtly uh, audience that it was going to have during that person's reign. Right. And that happens throughout all the retellings of Robin Hood. So it's really, it's, it's always interesting to me to see how these things are reconfigured. And so in this one, you've got Marion. Um, for one thing, you can choose to be uh, a, a female Robin or, or a male Robin. Cool. Um, you are in this not quite a nobleman. You're, you have like, you're the, the, the son or daughter of somebody who owns like a small holding, basically a yeoman. Hmm. Um, which is interesting because, you know, throughout history, the, the kind of nobility or, or peasantiness of Robin Hood has vacillated. In the original myths, he's, he doesn't really have much of a kind of noble background. He's just like some schlub who's a criminal, but, you know, does crimes that benefit the poor. And that's kind of then that narrative is stolen from the poor by later writers, basically. <laughs> and he's re- reconfigured as a noble who's fighting against a corrupt, uh, uh, you know, a corrupt, corrupt regime in the absence of the true king. Mm. Um, who is obviously the, you know, and is a true king and just king. So it kind of re, but in this, he's like positioned right in the center of those two kind of poles and you can push it sort of in either direction. So you can kind of go and you can court the nobles and you can, or, or you can just, you know, try and rip them off and give as much money to the peasants as you can. And so it's, it's interesting in that context, like to take this myth, which is constantly being remanufactured and to, to make it into a game where there is a play space to manufacture it yourself. Hmm, that's cool. And in fact, in parts of the game, you actually, rather than just making choices which af- af- affect causality, you're making choices about the nature of reality. So, you know, somebody will come up to you and say, ah, you know, this is such and such is such, but I've forgotten this detail. And so you can fill in, you know, who this character is, what their backstory was, who their parents were. And you have a choice about hmm. about that. And it obviously, obviously that does affect things causally, but you're fundamentally changing the nature of the world as well and the setting. You're telling the story at that point. I find that quite quite beguiling. But Marion is is sort of... Um, you When you find the Merry Men, she's sort of the leader of them, which is uh, quite a new thing in, in the Robin Hood myth that happens only in the 20th century. Mm. Um, and and because because uh, I like Robin Hood, I I, I was re- I reminded myself of uh, one of her early origins, uh, which is as a a, a prostitute, um, so not a the daughter of a noble as mm. she is mostly. She's like a, a tomboy noble mostly in the 20th century, but her origins appear weirdly much later than the original stories. And um, but uh, she's basically Friar Tuck's bit on the side, and <laughs> and here here is a line about it. Uh, she is a troll of trust to serve a friar at his lust, a pricker, a prancer, a terror of sheets, a wagger of bollocks <laughs> when other men sleeps. <laughs> What's that from? Oh, uh, I can't remember. It's like child 65. I can't yeah, remember the name right. of the text, but, <laughs> but yeah, she's, uh, <laughs> she's been cleaned up since then a little bit. Oh man. But yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting. Can you waggle the bollocks? How 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 <laughs> naughty a twine game is this? Uh, it's not that naughty. You don't get any <laughs> renown for waggling anybody's bollocks. There are there are there are sexual encounters you can have. You can rom- romance most of the characters that I've met so far, or at least attempt to. I don't know how far you get with the bear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's also a lot of magic in this, which I don't. Mm. As you know, as a Robin Hood purist, I, I don't. I'm not really into the, the the amount of magic in there. And there's kind of lots of weird. We say magic. Do you mean? You know, like a wizard is there, or wizards, ghosts, talking animals, unicorns, uh, the whole shebang, basically, the whole a spectrum. full witcher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, 
yeah, I don't know how much I like that stuff. I also don't like a lot of the anachronistic inventions. There's like oversized hounds in it that are called Baskervilles, which is, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's some stuff like that. And a lot of, uh, modern colloquialisms that suddenly pop up and poke you in the eye in the middle of uh, an otherwise acceptable piece of, you know, Bollock waggling. Bollock waggling, yeah. <laughs> we talk a lot about uh, verbs and game design, and to waggle might be one that should be introduced in more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I've played Mario Party. No one <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Motion but... controls have gone by the wayside. <laughs> yeah, very good point. This is the, maybe the use of the Wii U that we didn't anticipate needing, but yeah. I forgot that era existed. <laughs> the, the Nintendo Labo version of this. The... <laughs> <laughs> we talked about, have you talked about the weird stick thing? The, the, the giant hoops? What? The motion control hoops? Oh, the, the, no, we haven't. The, the sinister motion control Nintendo's hoops. Nintendo's exercise sphincter. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's just a hula hoop with some motion controls on it, but advertising the most sinister possible way. <laughs> yeah, they're um, very, very intense, those two people. I'm not quite sure yeah. what, what they were given before, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, being filmed. They, they, they are addressing you with the <laughs> Adderall infused intensity. <laughs> like, yeah, it's both the kindness and the rage <laughs> of a couple that can't believe you've just moved into a house they were going to buy to demolish it. <laughs> <laughs> and they are furious about this, but they also need to explain to you how this hoop can help you. <laughs> exercise using Nintendo Switch. Which I still don't understand. It's worth watching. We should conclude that this one is a piece of batshit marketing. Like, yeah, it's like gritted teeth. Or like, they've just, like, you know, it's it's like, you, you, they know, they know that um, one of you is having an affair with one of the other ones. There's <laughs> <laughs> very intense drama. It's a bit like, um, like, uh, that's not good. What am I thinking of? No, never mind. The, um, the, the, the is it Pretty Little Lies? The the show with Nicole Kidman in it, where everyone's everyone's very angry at each other, posh in, in suburban America. Is that Big Little Lies? Big Little Lies. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, it's not like that at all, <laughs> but it has some of that energy, but more more of that energy than you would expect in an advert for an exercise toy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have you been playing, Tom? I've been playing Astral Chain, uh, which <laughs> is actually a Nintendo Switch game, uh, but it's from Platinum Games, and loads of Platinum stuff has been coming over to PC recently, and I've, I have faith it'll come over probably like five or ten years as a remaster or some shit uh but <laughs> with those caveats <laughs> <laughs> with those caveats it's all i've been playing i've been on holiday just playing this game and uh you are a cop and what you do is you go into the astral plane and you enslave creatures uh sort of demons basically uh, and then take them back into the real world where they're invisible to normal people but you can still use them to apprehend muggers and graffiti artists <laughs> Uh, and you have like a little roster of these guys that you can pop out with the left trigger at any time. And they're on a, a, a chain, and this is part of the game mechanic, where you, you, you can hold down the left trigger and take control of the creature on the chain. And you can wrap the chain around enemies and it paralyzes them, or you can use it to catch enemies that are doing diving attacks and throw them backwards and stun them and stuff like that. This really organic, beautifully kind of analog uh, combat system that, uh, from the creators of Bayonetta and, you know, uh, those Vanquish guys, and- Vanquished, those, those guys know how to make action look and feel fucking cool. Um, this is actually a game that is about, about a quarter to a third fighting. And then the rest of it is base time. We go back to your cop zone and you, you police station, they call it police station. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in the cop zone, you sort of, um, you give your demons a wash. There's a little screen where you can bring them up and you can, uh, they're covered in like uh, corruption crap from being in the astral plane and you sort of like hose them down and that, uh, that makes them really happy. Uh, how, how do you hose them down? Is there any waggling involved? There's no waggling involved particularly. There's uh, you hold down the trigger while, you know, they, they don't, they don't like it. They're like, they, they throw a little tantrum. They're like, um, if you ever tried to hose a dog down, they don't like it and they try and get away. And uh, 
you, they sort of flinch away, and but then you, you target them with a reticule, hold down the right trigger, and uh, the thing buzzes, and then they get clean, and they go yeah, <laughs> and they're really. Happy. When you, can you describe these monsters so I can visualise what we're talking about? Uh, so it's a cross between like even Galleon mechs mm. type aesthetic um, and Transformers. So okay. there's like a there's a there's a robo dog type thing. Once you catch the robo dog, which is just a kind of feral astral extraterrestrial phantom dog but as soon as you capture it uh it gets armored and it has like the words police written all over it and there's loads of just like absolute <laughs> nonsense logic to it like this so you've got your own police dog and the, the dog can dig stuff up in the environment uh the dog's really good at wrapping people up in chains loves to do that um and that the dog can create a tornado <laughs> by spinning around really fast as dogs tend to do um uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very good boy uh so there's the, the dog there's the sword one which is the <laughs> Uh, the floaty guy with a couple of sword arms. He's the, the basic first one you get. There's the arms one, which is just called arms. <laughs> and guess what his thing is? Is it <laughs> got lots big of arms? Fucking arms. Or big arms. Two big massive arms. And you can just wear him. You press, <laughs> you press the bumper and you sort of go inside him and you, you can wield his giant arms as though they're your own and just smash up dogs and, you know, <laughs> muggers and other demons and any shit that just sort of ha- fucking any crimps that are perps that are around. You just like can deck them with this giant invisible space demon thing. It's very, it's very good. What does good. the sword do? The sword, um, is really good at, um, so there's this kind of, the, the, the corruption from the astral plane is coming into the real world and, uh, lots of people have become quite, quite redshifted as they call it, uh, which is where the corruption kind of takes hold in, inside them. They feel like really sad and they're kind of sloping around. If you see one of those guys in the environment, you can send out your sword guy, uh, and press A and he gives them a hug and cures them of that. Uh, and they go, oh, I feel so much lighter and better. And you just make them happy. And this is kind of the thing I really want to focus on about this game is that, it's part platinum fucking awesome action, uh, yeah. but actually has a weird sense of public duty to it as a police <laughs> officer. Like, even though you're doing all this batshit demon fighting and you're fighting like insane giant boss monsters and there's like apocalyptic stuff happening, uh, uh, whenever you're wandering around the environments, there are just cans everywhere, uh, just litter everywhere. And you just pick it all up and then uh, you can go to a bin and just press A loads of times and throw all that litter away. So you're just <laughs> you're just literally just cleaning up litter for for cop points. Um, and there's this really nice such as like loads of side quests where you're just helping people do very basic things. There's like a kid on a bridge. It's really sad because they've dropped their ice cream. So you go down and uh, you get an ice cream from, uh, you know, like a, a 10 scoop ice cream and it's teetering. And then suddenly it's like a balance game where the motion controls <laughs> on the switch, uh, mean you, you have to use those to try and keep. Why the ice did you cream. buy that much ice cream? <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> wanted to give the kid as much ice cream as they wanted because they were really sad. And just very slowly walk up some stairs and then, uh, some twat runs down really fast and knocks you over and you lose like a third of the ice creams. So then you, you think about sending your demons after them. Be like, no, I've got to get the ice creams up the stairs to the child. The kid needs this ice cream. Uh, and then you eventually get up and you get loads of cop points for making the kid happy. And it's full of loads of little moments like this in between all the stupid kind of demon slaying stuff. And it has a, like a genuine, like being a cop doing nice things for people in a very basic way with stupid superpowers is really <laughs> compelling and fun. <laughs> it's just really nice. Um, and also there's like a really satisfying mechanic where, uh, you can see these kind of like corruption, this corruption all around. There's like kind of litter on the floor as well. Like this glowing red crystalline sort of substance that, uh, needs to be cle- cleaned up. So you, you bring out your demon and then you'll maneuver them on their chain and, uh, just, they'll just hoover them up. And it's like a kind of Luigi's Mansion style sucking up. And every single time you pick one up, there's a tiniest little rumble in the Switch controller. And the Switch has a really high pitched rumble like it's a really high frequency rumble that's actually very delicate uh, and it's absolutely so satisfying <laughs> to do it and i've just like done like spent so much time in these levels trying to get all of the corruption out of them because they, they hide them up in platform puzzles they're like there's this whole extra sort of game over the game where you, if you really want to clean all this stuff up you can activate different platforms and use different abilities to get to different positions so you can actually 
go clean that stuff up. Oh, wow. And it, it kind of reminds me a bit of the sort of bay, the Bayonetta Sonic thing, right? Of where mm. um, there's a thrill of collecting and a sort of really sort of kind of desire to pick stuff up and suck stuff up, but it's, it's in, even in that fighting game, which is a very hardcore fighting game. Uh, and that's present here as well. It's really fun. And it's also got like detective bits as well, where you just sort of wander around, talk to people, gathering clues. And it's a Phoenix Wright style thing where you'll get quizzed by someone at the end and you have to pick the right clues for the right sort of mm. questions. And that'll give you more cop points and then you'll move to the next bit. It's absolutely batshit. <laughs> like it, the design, I'd love to see the design document for this fucking thing because it's like how it ever got funded or kind of greenlit or something. Like I don't understand, but um, I think it's overseen by uh, the creator of um, Near Automata mm. uh, and also um, Devil May Cry. Um, so right, yeah. it, it's that kind of it's that mashup of that kind of makes sense when you've played the game and you've, there's this mix of kind of social social areas where there's lots of little bits to do and little side quests and quite touching moments and also fucking kick-ass action where you're just beating the shit out of demons with a police baton. <laughs> what sort of, what are the enemies? Are they monsters like yours or are they? They're pretty much monsters like yours. Uh, occasionally you'll fight thugs who are corrupted, um, but they always get, you know, KO'd. You'll see the sort of ring of stars rather than actually killing them. Uh, and there's, it's bloodless as well. It's just really, I think they've just thought really, maybe it's just because it's on a Switch and they don't want it to be like that violent a game, but it, they managed to do combat without it just being horrendously brutal. It doesn't mm. feel, it just feels really exciting and fun. And, um, the way they pace the moments of victory is really nice as well. You can, you can, uh, if you beat down a monster enough, you can sort of finish it. And, um, it sounds more brutal than it looks. Uh, but when you press the finishing thing, your demon shoots out and they just rip the sort of evil heart out of the creature and they return to you. Um, and then they hold it up in, in front of the screen and it's like a Zelda sort of holding <laughs> treasure above the head type moment and you just get extra cop points. <laughs> always, always be getting cop points and, and stuff to level up your creatures and, uh, there's great customization, just really crazy outfits, loads of kind of colorful ways to customize your character. It's just fucking great. I just really <laughs> like it. I've, I've had so much fun with it. How, how, how do you, where do you rank it on the scale of, uh, platinum smash ups? It's just, it's really different to other platinum games that I've played. Like, mm. it's just, a, a, it feels, it's like an RPG. It's like, if, what if they did a Nier Automata style RPG? Right. Because platinum helped with Nier Automata, actually. Mm. They, they helped the combat feel for that game. But the, I felt the combat was quite limited. I think you kind of, um, you exhaust the combat, the potential of that combat system quite quickly in Nier. Mm. Um, which is why I think subsequent playthroughs make you do the hacking mini games and stuff because they they obviously know that it, the combat doesn't quite have enough have the legs to last three playthroughs. But having that knowledge going into a more it's 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 not a Twitch combat system. It's much more it must be almost a fantasy star online. All the combos have regular metered out beats to each attack, and then at the end of the combo stream, your character will flash, and then you'll press a button to send your demon out to do a special attack, that kind of stuff. But it's it's, it's not fast. It's, it looks chaotic, but it's not like out of the reach of someone who's new to video games necessarily. Mm. Um, it's visually confusing, especially if you've got the Switch in portable mode where the screen's really small. Works surprisingly well, but I think like if you're developing for the Switch, you want to think about what it's actually going to play like in portable mode. And a simplified visual mode for portable might be, might be useful, something like that. Mm. But, um, but yeah, you definitely feel it. It's really good. Hmm. Hmm. It's hmm. very, it's very odd game. It's very, very. It sounds very, very strange. It's it very sounds... strange. It's very hard to describe because <laughs> it's got a lot of different things in it. So it sounds like. Yeah. So, for example, the entire the first thing you do in the game is you're on a motorbike flying through a tunnel, and you're dodging, you know, you're dodging stuff, and you're shooting stuff down with your cool police gun thing that miraculously never kills people. Um, and it never happens again. It's like, that, that section finishes. It's like, oh, you know, oh, I was like, oh, this is probably going to be a regular part of the game where there are bike bits and you score on them. It's like, nope, <laughs> that's just the intro. That's what happens. Um, so there's, there's sort of something quite platinum about that in a way. Like there'll be, they'll just do a set piece that just one 
completely different mode. Uh, and so, so you go back to your the, the police zone, the cop zone, uh, and there's a character called Lappy, who's um, actually a, a woman called Marie, who likes to dress up in a giant teddy bear outfit and go around comforting the police officers who are having a very hard <laughs> day of picking up litter and uh, fighting demons. Um, <laughs> and there's a whole, like, her side quest is so strange because eventually you get to wear the suit and run around sort of fixing people's problems in the police station. Um, but there's <laughs> also one where she's developed a game and <laughs> she wants you to test it, QA it, you know, do some QA for her, basically. Uh, and then you go to like a completely different top-down pixelated environment where you're, you're, you're dressed up as Lappy and you have to give balloons to officers that are running past. It's like suddenly it's a different game entirely, which is also like near. You know, so when you're yeah, right. near, like you go into a completely different, you go into kind of, I can't remember what it is, like a maze type mm. uh, mini game. And it just constantly surprises you with this, this stuff. Um, it's like, it's the, it belongs to no genre. Like it's just a, <laughs> this weird genreless kind of very strange, but brilliant. I think it's just total crack for games critics because you, you get so bored of seeing the same things over and over again, where something, something like Astral Chain comes along. It's like everyone, I think the reason why everyone loves it so much in the critical community is because, like, oh my God, it's a different and weird and, uh, mm-hmm. but fun and has a real heart to it as well, even though it is about beating the shit out of giant demons. <laughs> That sounds fantastic. I regret leaving my Switch in the States now. <laughs> my favourite console. It's so good. Yeah, they're great. I need to get back to... I, I can't find my Switch charger post-house move. So no. Fire Emblem children are waiting for me. Oh, no. I need to get back to Fire Emblem as well, which it's, I'm also loving. Yeah, it's an extremely good game. Oh, damn it. Hmm. Shall we do some questions from... Questions? I thought you'd never ask. Kane writes, Hello. When Project Hospital came out last year, I think it was overshadowed by the distracting buffoonery of the simpler and goofier two-point hospital. That's unfortunate, because it's quite good. It also has a weird thing you don't see often in management games, the ability to directly interfere in the work your employees are doing. In this case, directly take over a patient's care from your doctors and order exams and treatments yourself. I won't bore you by describing the things this can lead to, like how as soon as a patient says the word diarrhea in a doctor's office, I immediately order a jug of barium, cram down their throat and send them to an radiology department that's getting tired of looking at x-rays of intestinal fistulas or the ineffable power of the five-minute full thonk. Instead, I just want to tell you about one tiny detail. When you manually order an exam or treatment for a patient, their doctor will sometimes play an animation of them receiving a phone call before carrying it out. Presumably, it's the invisible floating hospital administrator that the player is calling to shout orders at them from the astral plane. I wonder if invisible floating hospital administrators need malpractice insurance. What's your favourite little detail like this in a game? Regards, Kane. P.S. It's a shame that the calls from the invisible floating hospital hospital administrator don't come in on a red phone, because then they might be from the oldest house, MD. <laughs> That's a control joke. Based on Remedies Control, which I'm also playing at the moment, but I talked about last week. Mm. Uh, in that game, it's set in the oldest house and there's a red phone. That's that's the context you were missing. Set up. If you didn't enjoy that that joke. Little detail in game, what you like. There's lots of them details, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> from, from the astral plane to astral chain. Damn. Um, this is kind of recency effect to this. Shit. <laughs> um, like, the thing is, these questions, like, when you get asked, like, which is your favourite little detail from any game, you sort of have to search your entire fucking memory library for every single game you've ever played and then sort of pick out this one detail. Yeah. Uh, but it's so often you go back to the thing you played most recently. Um, and the thing I love most in astral chain is when you go, uh, talk to a kid your character takes a knee to talk to them face to face oh there's a whole animation just to just to do that and it, like i've no, I noticed it so much because you're just like actually almost every rpg that you sort of stare down at them yeah ominously like even like Geralt. but i did every time you meet a kid you get down on their level to actually talk to them that lovely little thought that's going to oh you're a good 
demon imprisoning space cop. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's a heartwarming game about space demons. That's good. That's a nice detail. Hmm. I know you're, you're exactly right that your brain immediately goes to the last game you played. I'm really struggling to get out of like not a detail from hunt, not a detail from hunt, not a detail from hunt. <laughs> there can't be many. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, hunt is like absolutely packed with like things that jangle and like yeah. it's very. It's um. It's got a really good line in. For some reason, you being able to tell the difference between different rusty objects falling over. Mm. Like, someone's jangled the cans from earlier. Someone's waggled the cans. <laughs> Rather than, you know, tinkled the hooks. You know, those are profoundly different experiences. And someone with a lot of audio design experiences put a lot of effort into creating an environment where you can tell a tinkle from a jangle or a, a crunch mm. from a crack. <laughs> and that, I understand it, is what they call sound design. <laughs> <laughs> Next question come from Daniel, who write, There has been a recent kerfuffle on Twitter because someone suggested that there may be a Princess Bride remake on the cards. Lots of people have sensibly rallied around to insist that would be a terrible idea because the original film is perfect. Does this notion work with PC games? Are there games you would never want to see remade, remastered, or rebooted because they are perfect as they are? Cheers, Daniel. I'd like to say this question was the first I'd heard of the rumors of a Princess Bride reboot, and I agree. That is a bad, a bad. I do not want. No, thank you. <laughs> There's more of a case for it with games than there are for films. Right. Uh, because mm-hmm. the, the medium in which you play films has not changed at all, really, significantly. So you can watch The Princess Bride, the original, and mm-hmm. it'll be just as good as when it was played, whenever it was made. 1987? Yeah. Something like that. Whereas uh, games not only as a medium will have progressed, but also the technology in which you play them is not static and that can cause problems. And so there's a problem with curation in general in games, which means that actually some amount of remaking is, is probably beneficial. Think about the uh, Resident Evil 2 remake. Mm. It's, yeah, which added loads of value to that old, old idea while still retaining mm. a lot of the kind of spirit of the original. Um, I, there's just loads of value in... Cause it's like... So cinematography changes, obviously, to an extent, but not to the extent that, you know, the change of perspective in a video game and the way that that changes the way you interact with the world is enormous and integral to the way you actually experience it. Yeah. Uh, it's a much greater shift. So that move to a Resident Evil 4 style, just over the shoulder perspective, um, achieving that while still retaining some of the survival mechanics that the original Resident Evil 2 had, I think is an, a great act of design skill and a very worthwhile project. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if there were, like, oh, it, I mean, I love the Princess Bride a lot and I... Would be annoyed if there's the, well, I think it's, I almost think there's no point getting annoyed at film remakes to an extent because the original still exists mm. and films aren't replaced by their remakes in the way that games can be. Yeah, true. But the reason for that is often because a game remake is like straight up an improvement because things can be improved upon, right? Mm. There's like, you can be nostalgic for certain visual styles or presentational styles or even t- types of design. Um, but a lot of that stuff has evolved quite substantially yeah. and like performances in games. Yeah. I don't remember there being a big outcry about the remake of Shadow of the Colossus, for example. Right. Uh, nobody was saying it's a travesty that the textures yeah. are improved because it retained that precise art style and it, it you know, it, it, um, had greater fidelity, but it in no way betrayed the earlier art style, which is always the fear that you can yeah. just up-res right. something and it will it just change the kind of aesthetic of it. Whereas I, that's not the case there. I think you can do these things badly or well, but I, yeah, in general, it, like I don't have a problem with it. And there's a, there's a phenomenon with game remakes, I think, which is that the successful ones recapture how you felt when you first played. Cause mm. you know, if you grew up playing games, particularly the sort of the, as as we did through like quite rapid graphical evolution every new game was the best looking thing you'd ever seen so yeah. in order to kind of recreate the experience of what it was like to play resident evil 2 in 1996 or whenever it was yeah the new one had to also look amazing because resident evil 2 did look amazing but going back to it, it's a fundamentally different experience 
whereas like the quality of like a performance say in the original princess bride is not something that yeah. can be just needs to be recreated and if they do a new one and, and look it's i don't know it's dave batista and he's playing fezzik now um yeah that's the yeah i think it'd be quite funny actually but like you know it's just a different if thing you're, if you're looking for a class of games which are is sort of eternal and unprovable then i think you have to go back to fairly arcadey games i think doom probably fits within that category mm. but as soon as you start getting kind of more reliant on atmosphere or or, or 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 things that are outside of just some kind of pure mechanical reactive mm. <laughs> or even puzzly context then i, I don't I think yeah there's, there's all, often very little about a game that couldn't be improved somewhat even if it's just like doesn't take 400 years to load anymore right like, yeah you know what i mean some aspect of the experience because you were always making it yourself to some extent particularly early mm. earlier games yeah there's an interesting um debate around upscaling pixel art for example and yeah. some of the pretty awful ways this has been done for mobile games for mm. Fantasy six for example where they just whatever process they've used to translate those mm. uh those sprites is read, just rob them of all their personality and yeah that often happens doesn't it yeah clash of heroes i know this is a game i banged on about on this podcast mm. but the original ds release of that was beautiful mm. beautiful pixel art and then it came out on pc and <laughs> like rasterized with like yeah like why would you, why would you do it like uh, it's the illusion of resolution where there's not, it's pointless to play. Uh, there's, there's, there's stuff to be said about this. Like, there's been lots of analysis of the Final Fantasy VIII remaster, um, partly because there's parts of it haven't been upscaled. So there are low res still characters. So in a classroom, the important characters who might have to move around and interact are polygonal and they've all been upscaled and at a very high resolution. Uh, but they obviously, use shortcuts for the other students who aren't going to be animated they were just like part of the pixelated background and the effect is jarring in the new version because they just the all of the interactive characters massively stand out as though they're just in, on a different plane of existence to the rest of the people in their world uh so it could go badly even if you just sort of upscale a kind of 3d game and, and resolution's nice but actually the the pixel soup like artists worked around that at the time mm. like the good artists worked around the pixel soup and made things stand out using art you know using that kind of skill. Mm. Mm. I really want them to remake Fable 2. Oh, yeah. Mm. I don't know why that popped into my head. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just, I just uh, had a fond, fond memory of that game the other day when I think there's, there's rumors of another Fable game being made. Mm. And uh, it's like, well, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be good. I have no idea, actually. But I mean, let's hope it is. Yeah. But you know, what I really want is Fable 2 again, but on a, on a medium that I can actually... Playing. Yeah, would you, is that like a remake at that point or just a re-release? Because I guess a, a, I mean, it may, actually, maybe it is re-released on some godforsaken shard of the Windows Store. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I'm never going to look there. You could bing it. <laughs> and don't use that word in this house. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dog pile only house. I have you know, Chris. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. When I lived here, we could bing things. <laughs> We've been binging things in this house for three years, and you couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> That's not fight in front of the kids. The um, next question comes from uh, Clement, who writes, Dear Theo C, first, thank you for the, the last episode, which got me through a very long day of public transport strike in Paris. God knows I'm with them, but it was a damn long walk to work. Um, quick unrelated question. Last week on the Epic Games Store, Canarium was given away for free. I chuckled when I saw it because it starts just like the French word for dickhead or asshole. <laughs> which games have you tried just because the name was funny or stupid? Conversely... What games have you avoided uh, because the names just sounded boring? Thanks for the pods. What does that mean, literally, I wonder? Because it can't, it can't be both dickhead and asshole because they're different parts of your body. <laughs> the dick, the head, and the asshole. Mm. Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I do not speak French. But to the question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And names are, uh, are of more than superficial importance, but I tend to, and the wisdom on how you name your game has changed over the years, but there was, uh, a prevailing period where it was important to be quite literal, mm. uh, in mm. your name. And I think we probably surpassed that now simply because the volume of games coming out is, is just so great that you actually need something that maybe does more than describe the game. Mm. It's Googleable. Yeah, I mean, yes. I was going to level this criticism at Control, actually, yeah. which yeah. gets the 2019 Volume Award for <laughs> ungoogleable <laughs> names. Yeah. Yeah, like, just don't pick a name from a settings menu. Like if you're right, if you right now you're making a thought provoking game called Field of View, just <laughs> just don't like resolution. Stop it. Rebind. <laughs> yeah, V-Sync. Any combination of over, under, into, outer is going to cause confusion at this point. Because into the outer breach. <laughs> into the outer yeah. Lord Knight. Like yeah. it's, Wild. it's just going to just go out of your head immediately. Mm. Yeah. I think there's something to be said. What is the skate skating game that just came out that has completely an, an unrememberable oh, name? Talking about it earlier today. Yeah, it's called like the session. Sessions. Sessions. Is it just called sessions? <laughs> oh, maybe I don't know. It's like it's it's really a weird decision. Just call it good skates or something. Grinds. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, that's the kind big jump. Skaters say, isn't it? I've, yeah, I'd never skated. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> cool pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nice shoes. I, I, but yeah, I, I like silly funny names. That's, that's always good. Yep. I mean, uh, Untitled Goose Game is a, is a good name for a game, as they well know. Yeah. But uh, uh, some of these, these... Imagine if they had... They'd, oh, we finished, we come up with a name now, and it's called, I don't know, like Peril on Goose Mountain, Attack of the Farm Wizard or something. Would that, <laughs> would that have fixed it or broken it? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I should have had a better idea before I started saying that sentence. <laughs> we all know it, but it's it's happened now. I was in a, a position to come up with a name for something the other day, which is obviously an excuse to come up with a large number of Google Google Doc entries for things that make me chuckle, yeah. which would obviously never be marketable. But my favourite podcast was got named Ethel Ready, Ethel Steady, Ethel Ethel Cook. <laughs> <laughs> It still tickles me. <laughs> you couldn't finish it. Was it Ethel Steady, Ethel Ready, Ethel Cook? Ethel, Ethel Ready, Ethel Steady, Ethel Cook. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. What would you do in this game? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a game. It was oh. a name for a company. Oh, I see. <laughs> but I want to make that game now. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good Like game. an old English sort of cooking mama. Yeah, you're just making what quail pies and yeah. lamprey lamprey pie. <laughs> oh, that's really stupid. That's very good. Mm. Uh, Tom, do you have any good game names that you like? I don't know. No, I hate them all. <laughs> no, there must be some. Um, what have I enjoyed recently? I did have an idea. It's gone on my head though. Ethel already. You know what? Actually, <laughs> I think Ethel Cookers <laughs> wiped all, all wiped four three on this. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what? Hunt Showdown is a bad name for a game. Yeah, it's going to go it? Yeah, mm-hmm. Hunt, just too generic. Well, the, the problem is there's lots of hunting games as well. Yeah. Like actual kind of hardcore hunting games about, you know, killing things which are real animals rather than <laughs> beast cream, ladies. Beast cream. Mm. Beast cream. <laughs> we all scream for beast cream. Yeah. Um, there's something um, alluring about giants 
colon Citizen Kabuto. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like... Uh, what are they why, doing there? I think, is Kabuto the name of the giant? What, they call him a citizen. It's so weird. Like, it's not even part of the game. It's, yeah, is there a kind of... Uh, any kind of municipal thing it, going on? Yeah, that, <laughs> part of the mayoral, <laughs> mayoral county of giants. Yeah. Kabuto is uh, a, a humble... No, he's just the biggest thing in the game. That's, that's it. There was a period where everything... everything all, all the games had uh, obscure fantasy names, colon the awakening or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the Kingdom of Animal Reckoning. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, was a classic, yeah, a classic people. terrible name. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Omicron, Nomad Soul. Yeah, that's, that's oh, a, yeah. yeah, is it? <laughs> kind of curious about that though, like, hmm. what those words mean perhaps? David Bowie was the answer. <laughs> 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 Some terrible controls. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big fan of just sort of like, just simple strong names that kind of become kind of hard to separate from the thing they're describing like mm. halo will always have been a great name for that series because i think in a previous generation of game names it would have been called like master chief yeah it probably would have been well it, had, it also had a very strong visual of where yeah. it's set also it did yeah. have a subtitle to be fair at first but did it? combat evolved oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean that's meaningless though isn't it it's closer to meaningful than most subtitles i would say because mm-hmm. if it was called like halo or showdown yeah showdown yeah Hoedown would be better. Mm. <laughs> hoedown Shunt. amongst the tinkly things. Yeah, the tinkly Shunt hoedown. Shunt hoedown. By the way, what a bullshit named theme hospital is. Well, can't just say theme thing. Like They did, though. They did. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what they I did. No, they did, but like, you, can't, you can't just say, like, oh, theme, you know, space police. Right, yeah. That's better than, that, better than Astral mm. Chain, though, perhaps. Yeah. Why did theme parks ever get the name theme? What, what are they themed know. about? Oh, other than rides? Wasn't, wasn't the idea was that it was like... The, because they would have like, I, I guess it's, I don't know, all pirate themed or something. Like there was mm. a sort of sense of there having a I suppose coherent you, kind of permanence. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Why are they, yeah. Bioshock's a bad name as well, by the way. Swear on it. Yeah. Mm. I suppose they were reliant on people's nostalgia for system shock. shock yeah. yeah. Half-Life isn't great. Very few games around at that time, though. So <laughs> they can get away with it. They can name it fucking anything. That's Doom, that's a good name for a game. Yeah. yeah. Quake, pretty good as well, actually. Mm. It's fine. <laughs> God, the, the the takes are flatlining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what this Ethel one? Quake. Ethel Quakey. <laughs> <laughs> Ethel Quake. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know anymore. Uh, um, Joseph writes... Dear face and moustache. I've been listening to your podcast for several years and recently realised I have no idea what any of you look like. I had always pictured Tom Francis as a small, bearded, round man. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I I was pleasantly surprised to discover that he actually looks like a hot English Jonathan Blow. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> wait for it. Who in turn looks like a normal American version of Carl Pil- Pilkington? <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a journey! Most, wow, I mean, not even backhanded. That's a that's an open. That's like that's a closed fist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. need one of those evolution diagrams for <laughs> man crouching, <laughs> crouching uh, to understand that one. <laughs> <laughs> this naturally begs the question um which game designers have you never seen and what do they probably look like 
<laughs> Thanks for the journalism, Joseph. <laughs> I don't know that I spent a lot of time desperately trying to picture game designers in my mind's eye. No. no. I mean, it happens with um, uh, uh, podcasters, I suppose. Yeah. But Campo Santo. Can you imagine a white man with glasses and a beard in a room? <laughs> if so, you've answered both of these questions. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. He said, looking about the room. Um, the, um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think one of the, ve- the deficits of working in the industry in this particular regard is I know what a lot of people look like. Mm. For better or worse. Yeah. Mostly worse. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I really wish I could have preserved Joseph's small round version of Tom Francis. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand. That's so unfair on, on it Tom. Is, it's he's, enormously he's like unfair. The most statuesque. Yes, it's probably one of the us. only statuesque member of this podcast. Really. Yeah. yeah right. I agree. I mean, you know, Wilch is thinner, but he's kind of like unhealthy thin. He's like <laughs> wraith-like. He's a slender man. That's yeah. the. <laughs> <laughs> Which Tom is the protagonist who comes around and saves the small northeastern American town from the slender man. Yeah. <laughs> the Alan Wake, if you will, of this. No, that would make it sound like he's wearing too many coats. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Do you have an answer? I'm trying to think of a game designer who have no idea what they look like. Well, uh, I mean, the, the guy behind Nier. That's true. That's a good answer. Yeah. Mm. But I kind of feel like he's given us the version of himself that is he wants to present, and that's fine, fine with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. Not unmasking like Batman or something. It's, <laughs> it's not quite the same thing. It should be like one of those, yeah, like one of those Batman or Spider-Man stories where the people decide to leave them unmasked because they're all <laughs> grateful to the na- friendly neighborhood Yokotaro. Like yeah. the, I think, I think more game, de- maybe to flip this, I think more game developers should wear a big moon on the head. <laughs> <laughs> or, a simil- or a similar, or a similar, you think, know, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, that'll be great. Welcome to game development. Here's your moon. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be wearing this for the rest of the six year development cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to DDC. <laughs> yeah. Bin lanyards. Big old moon masks for everyone. There's a really good, um, I can't remember which uh, commentary it is. It might be the flash or something where the villain finally like, gets into a toilet and uh, unmasks him and then just stares at him in the, mi- in the mirror for a minute and goes, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> and it just makes the, the whole unmasking thing just seem yeah. utterly futile. It's, just, it's a man, I guess. It's just a fucking bloke. <laughs> <laughs> like, who cares? It's not Bruce Wayne. It's just a bloke, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, no, I think, yeah, big moon, moon masks for everybody. Is the solution to that problem? That's not a problem. Um, <laughs> David writes, Hi all. As you mentioned recently on the pod, games don't always have to be fun. What kinds of experiences do you seek from games? For example, I play Space Chem to feel stupid and brilliant by turns, pathologic when I need a little extra misery in my life and enter the gungeon when I need confirmation that I am in fact middle-aged. Yeah, I almost never need uh, any of those things he mentions. <laughs> I just want to be coddled now. I think mm-hmm. uh, I found this sort of all forms of media entertainment that I've been imbibing in the last few years since about 2016. A number, I, you know, a date of no consequence. Uh, I felt like I just want more escapism, mm-hmm. really. And, Tell uh, me yeah. a story, needy television. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've, I've literally become yeah. obsessed with just looking at bright colours crashing into each other. Like mm. th- that, that does it for me now. Like I was watching American football recently, and it's literally just colours f- smacking into one another, and it's like just. You know, molecular frenzy i I know this has made me culturally less deep but uh, (laughs) i'm willing to accept that yeah i was just watching uh, the new blade runner film again the other day just to look Mm. at the colors Mm. (laughs) not for any other reason like and uh watching upstream color as well which is Mm. just just for the kind of yeah just for the beautiful flow of um images (laughs) obviously flow um but yeah yeah i've I've 
I just need to be soothed. He's <laughs> rather than yeah. challenged, I think, uh, yeah. from my entertainment. I thought about that today, playing Hunt and kind of appreciating it, but at the same time having this feeling like, yeah, this is really, really good. Can't we just stop? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit. Like, I'm enjoying Control because it's easy, I think. Mm. It's deceptively easy for the kind of, because it sort of presents itself as this almost horror game. And yeah. I suppose this is the sort of like opposite of whatever probably I said on a previous episode of the podcast, but I think games don't have to be fun, but at the moment I prefer it when they kind of are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think immediately after the, was it immediately after the, it was maybe after Brexit? I can't remember. Yeah, it was after Brexit. I think, uh, The Witness came out. Mm. It was that after feels... some traumatic political event. Maybe that's the wrong time, but uh, I think The Witness is older than that. Yeah. I, I think maybe I could sense the world sliding to some <laughs> sort of terrible catastrophe at that point because The Witness was a really enjoyable place to, mm. to just be. And, uh, so I remember really, you know, just, just loving tootling around in that phrase. Normal Carl Piltington's The Witness. <laughs> 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 oh boy yeah, are, we tell, are we gonna tell tom this or not we no we have to secret. no we have to your, your monitor's doing something it's fine it's, 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 fine. it's just spelled the word despondency <laughs> <laughs> wow that's the most on-brand thing that could have... unless we all sound like goblins um <laughs> Yeah, um, trying to think. No, mostly, like, to be honest, I'm playing, you know, fewer games, uh, less intensely now than I have been previously. So, I do sort of want them to, you know, let me in, basically. Maybe that's bad. Maybe I am more culturally less rich as a consequence of that. Mm. But, hmm, don't know. That said, I mean, like, it's, it's sort of interesting, like, I found that I invested really deep in Outer Wilds, which is a wonderful game, despite mm. being kind of, pretty time consuming a bit fiddly in places um because it sort of let me in just enough whereas obra din which i loved but struggled with partly because it, i found it very claustrophobic because hmm. it sort of i think because of a visual style decision that had been made to keep you at arm's length right there's you know maybe, i mean for stylistic reasons but that sort of um you know particular visual style presumably is partly there to prevent you from feeling comfortable because it's not a comfortable story and the interface and everything about it sort of holds you as a certain remove. And I found that more off-putting than engaging. But I don't mm-hmm. know whether that's just how tired I happen to have been at the time. But it's an increasingly important metric and one of the reasons I don't do game criticism anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the new Ori game. Oh, that, yeah. That's just a, if you want to just bathe in colours while getting your ass kicked, mm-hmm. Ori in the Blind Forest is very good. The new one looks absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Good hint. Uh, our, our final question comes from John, who writes... Uh, Ludo narrative, Ludo narrative, Ludo narrative, Ludo narrative. Enjoy. I guess we have to drink four times. But, but he didn't say dissonance. You've done it now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> He's right. Mmm, a big gulp of water. <laughs> Welcome to the Straight Edge Crate and Crowbar. <laughs> the, the, one of the only ones. Uh, you managed to send the question in on a week, literally one of the very, very few weeks where we're just drinking water for the duration. Yeah, indeed. Very few. <laughs> And that's why we sound so on it. <laughs> Despondency. <laughs> <laughs> right now. That's all the questions we got time for. Marsh, do you want to do the outro? Do you want to try it? <laughs> if you have more questions for us, you can send them to questions at com, Or you can Twitter at CraigandCrowbar. That's the Twitter handle that we have. Or you can join us in our very nice Discord community, which is... Link to. Link to in the show notes. And website. And website that we have, which is... 
already mentioned. I think you should you should probably <laughs> no, this, this is better than most of mine. Yeah, <laughs> crowbar dot com. Also, also the Patreon. What was that? <laughs> Whoa! Chris just made a very unusual gesture. Yeah, that was my gesture for YouTube. Oh, you. oh, oh I see. <laughs> yeah, he was sort of massaging a tube, sort of towards your face. Yes, which is uh... <laughs> that, that is yes, a troll of trust. That's what you are, <laughs> waggling the bollocks while men sleep. Um. Yes, YouTube. Our YouTube channel. That's also on our website. You can find it there. There's probably some URL that you could find it with. Or, or what? What? What's next? Patreon? Oh my god. Why is it so painful? I know. Welcome to my life. Should never have left. No. Um, thank you to everybody who backs us on Patreon. It makes uh, a tangible difference to our lives and the quality of this podcast. So thank you. Um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash great and crowbar. There you go. The else? Oh, thank God. Well, <laughs> has gone bright, bright red. <laughs> the exhaustion of doing the outro. Uh, I wasn't Ethel ready. <laughs> and you were still not Ethel steady. No. Should we Ethel 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 go? Yes, yeah, Ethel go. Let's Ethel fuck off. Fans <laughs> <laughs> Berlin, everybody.